All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network, show, and its host are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. My name is John Rubino. It's February 6th. 2018, and I'm filling in for Jay, who's visiting a gold mine in Nevada today. He'll be back with you next week. Jay wants to thank you for listening to his show, and he also wants to thank his sponsors who make the show possible. They are RN Resources, Bonterra Resources, Novo Resources, Uranium Energy, Genesis Metals, Northern Empire Resources, New Range Gold, and Dynacor Gold Mines. The title of today's show is Beyond Gold and Silver, Preparing for Hard Times, and our guests are show regulars, Michael Oliver, Chris Martinson, and Jean Martineau. In the second segment of today's show, I'll be speaking with Chris Martinson about how to organize not just your finances, but your entire entire life for the crazy times that are apparently coming. But first, Michael Oliver is here to explain what the heck just happened in the stock market. Welcome, Michael. Hi. Hi, John. Uh, good to hear your voice. Uh, hope yeah. you enjoy taking over Jay's show. <laughs> oh, so far, so good. I'm so looking forward so to, to hearing what you think. Yeah, because yeah. uh, uh, well, we were pretty ready for it. We had our sniper rifles out, and we uh, identified numbers just below 2,800 that said, "Okay, well, a, a dive is going to begin." The question is whether, like so many other dives in the last uh, several years. Um, this one would snag something bigger. It would set off a landmine, not just uh, tease people for three days. Uh, it did. Uh, we looked at the DAX index in Europe, FTSE in London, the Eurostox 50 index, which is a broad European index, all blue chips, the S&P 500, NASDAQ 100. And except for the NASDAQ 100, which traded below a number today that uh, would trigger it if it could close a week below it. But all the others blew out our numbers. Uh, meaning they didn't just trigger short-term stuff uh, in the like in the S&P just below 2,800, which seems light years above us now, but they blew out quarterly momentum structures. Now, when we measure quarterly momentum, we're dealing with a long-term metric, not something that's short-term. When it breaks, it generally will last for three to five quarters at least in the new direction. Uh, and we triggered those numbers in the S&P today, uh, big time in Europe. Uh, and so in my mind, uh, this drop is qualitatively different from any drop we've had in the last several years, uh, particularly the last two years since the 2016 low. So don't treat this as a buying opportunity. Rallies are for selling at this point going forward. I think the main factor that's underway here isn't just you know, S&P. I think the S&P the stock market, in effect, is a... Uh, Pardon me, it's, it's a sidelined asset category from, from the core of the world. The core assets of the world are the undervalued commodity asset category, which has been rising in certain aspects over the last few years, gold, oil, for example, copper, uh, and is about to rise much more sharply this year, particularly with the grains. Very beat-up asset category. It's been around forever, you know. Uh, <laughs> uh, it's now exchange-traded. Uh, then there's the debt category, and I'm speaking of government debt, and that's huge. We're talking about U- U.S., German debt, European debt especially. They have broken not just minor structures, not just some yield chart. I've blown out annual momentum floors. And these, this began actually in October of 2016 and picked up speed with last month's close. So in our view, that category is headed for much higher yields, much lower prices, uh, to give you an idea, the 
a long bond is likely, the 30-year is likely to go to four and a quarter, and uh, right now it's probably around three. Um, the, that is a, a wave maker. Even if you don't want to participate in the short side of that market, it's going to make waves elsewhere. And I think one of the waves it's going to make we've already seen, and that is the, the bringing down of the stock asset category, which in, in the case of the developed markets is exceptionally aged, historically speaking, and, and vastly overpriced by any metric. And also technically from our perspective, and that's what we look at, and I don't mean price charts, I'm talking momentum studies, uh, it, is, it, is, it is broken. It is beginning to break big stuff. Therefore, we think down. And I think that what's going on here that would benefit, for example, gold and the commodity asset category is the investor. As a human being, things feel good, things don't feel good. Stocks have felt good. So it's like biofeedback, a nice soothing back rub. Uh, When it doesn't feel good, and there's other things out there that feel better or perhaps good, investors begin to shift their, their portfolios. You know, they get a little itchy, and they, so they tell their broker, well, let's, let's cut 10% of our stock portfolio, whatever. Let's buy a little gold. It's, I think this has already been going on, and I think the events of the last week or so in the bond market and the stock market will help speed this process up. And so uh, I think it's going to benefit gold. I think it's going to benefit uh, a lot of commodities, broadly speaking. And I think there's a big shift underway, period. Okay. Uh, to go back to the stock market for a second, I, I think everybody who watched the movie The Big Short – wants to experience that for themselves. In other, in other words, they want to bet against a bubble and mm-hmm. make a lot of money when they turn out to be right when the bubble bursts. Right, right, So right. With, if you had to pick two or three things that, that somebody could bet against this week and have a decent oh. chance of you know, winning with a big short bet, right. what would they be? Well, actually, you just missed it, Okay. Uh, for this okay. week, we said if you touch 2790 on the S&P, and I even sent out, normally we send out a report with charts and uh, even a nice banner and, you know, a respectful-looking thing, but I sent out a bulletin email, and I said, if you touch 2790, we're gone. You know, this thing's going down. Well, we dropped into the 2500s today, so I would say that chance of something to do this week, you missed it. That's not okay. the issue. I think the issue is if you're going to short stocks, you better have deep pockets, you better not use a lot of leverage right now, and you better not respect the rallies. Don't be fearful of the rallies. Let them happen. They will happen. Uh, I'm not sure, frankly, at this point in time, over the next six months, the biggest trade is short stocks. It might be. I don't think so. I tend to think the biggest trade over the next six months is long corn, soybeans, and wheat in terms of percent gain rapidly accrued. They have far more explosive upside potential, and soybeans have already signaled that corn is pushing at it. And if you get a full chorus, uh, chorus there in the grains, they could go up 30 to 40 percent in a matter of a handful of months. And I don't think the S&P is going to go down 30, 40 percent in a handful of months. Okay. It might. What, what's driving? Uh, Sorry. So, what's you know, driving the, the bull market is, in now, grains? Also on the stock side, we've argued the following for the last year. We love stocks, emerging market stocks. Why? They're commodity-related, and they've been beat up. They've been beat up from 2011 through 2016. They went down. They weren't supported by artificial pricing by central banks. Only the developed markets were. We liked being long EEM, which is an ETF of the emerging markets. And if you want to, and this is a grand idea now, I think, going forward for the next few years, short an equivalent amount of S&P. So you own EEM, you own the developed market, you, you short the developed markets, particularly the S&P or equivalents thereof, and long EEM on the other side, a, quote, global market neutral position. Today, for example, the EEM is up 2.9%, while the S&P a while ago was down on the day. So on a spread basis, just in one day, you're up a couple percent and nothing's going on, Right. So we like, I think that spread is likely to continue to move in that direction, favoring emerging markets, which are commodity-linked, and disfavoring the overbought uh, developed markets, especially U.S. markets. So I think if you're going to go into the stock market, if I had to suggest a way, it's to be spread um, one against the other, 50-50. In the other asset categories, maybe short bonds if you want, although their percent drop won't be a serious 
though they will be significant in terms of wave effect, it won't be as percent-wise serious as, for example, the uprising in corn, soybeans, and wheat, or the potential further gains in gold. So I would, I would break my portfolio into three things, long commodities, gold, grains, uh, at the appropriate time on the grains, and our reports deal with that issue. Spread the stock market against the U.S., favoring emerging and uh, if you have a debt position, uh, you know, some kind of a long-term debt instrument that's a negative or an inverse ETF of long government rates. And I think okay. that three-part portfolio will work out well over the next year or two. All right. Perfect. Thanks, Michael. Well, we're, we're out of time, unfortunately. Okay. So I've uh, got to hop. It's time for a commercial, but don't go away because we'll be right back with Chris Martinson. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. Oren Resources is a Canadian-based gold exploration company focused on the company's flagship Committee Bay Project located in northern Canada, one of the best mining jurisdictions in the world. The company's current resource outlined by drilling thus far stands at 1.1 million ounces of gold at over 8 grams per ton. Oren is operated by the same team that founded Asanko Gold, which is constructing a major gold mine in West Africa, and Caden Resources, which was recently purchased in November for over $200 million. New Range Gold Corps is a Canadian junior explorer focused on its recently acquired flagship Pamlico Gold Project, located in Nevada, one of the best mining jurisdictions in the world. Known as one of Nevada's highest grade gold districts, Pamlico was held by private interests for most of its history and remains largely unexplored. Drilling by New Range is already confirming the legendary grades of the district with intercepts up to 341 grams gold per ton. Well financed with no debt, New Range is unlocking shareholder value at Pamlico and trades under TSX symbol NRG. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. listening to turning hard times into good times with your host jay taylor if you have a question or comment about today's show jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790 that's 1-866-472-5790 you can also send an email to questions taylor at gmail.com that's questions the number four taylor at gmail.com now back to our program Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm John Rubino, filling in for Jay Taylor, who is off visiting a gold mine. I'm here with Chris Martinson, founder of PeakProsperity.com, through which he helps people prepare not just their finances, but their entire lives for what he and I both see as a very challenging decade ahead. Hi, Chris. Hey, John. So good to be with you here. Yeah. Thanks for coming on. Um, My pleasure. You know, Michael Oliver was just on uh, before you. And we talked about the stock market's recent craziness. So let, let me start you off with the same question I asked Michael. Mm-hmm. What the heck just happened? <laughs> and what does it mean? <laughs> yeah. Well, my analysis comes down to, I uh, wrote a piece on it and put it out this morning, um, which is that this was a breakdown in volatility trading. So everybody's familiar, if you've been following the markets at all, with this idea that there are a lot of very crowded trades out there. And one of them is everybody was short volatility, meaning they were uh, positioned big time for the markets not to be volatile. And of course, when markets looked like they were going to become volatile, this became a self-fulfilling feedback loop. And what happened was volatility spiked. And then that drags all the computers off and they have to go do what they do because when volatility spikes, stocks get sold. There was no pin out there that said, you know, bad earnings report or, you know, super surprise inflation reading, none of that. It was just all of a sudden volatility spiked. And because everything is connected to everything these days, that's the craziness we saw. 
Um, and and does that have longer term implications? You know, was this a one week thing, or or we have we entered a bear market that's going to be like 2008, 2009, which so many people on the uh, you know the contrarian side of the spectrum have been waiting for? Well, I think the second part of the story is. Can they, quotes around the word they, can they contain this? We all are familiar with the idea that we have very interventionist central banks now. Japan was in big time, of course, buying more ETFs for the Bank of Japan. And, um, and so we watched the rescue efforts come along. The question, the key question that we all have to watch very carefully here is um, can they actually get the cash markets to come back in a meaningful way or not? And if they can't, th- this is, I think, John, the most dangerous Thing that could happen is the loss of perception that the central bankers can contain these Franken markets that they've created. And so uh, we saw the first hints yesterday that said, nope, guess what? From time to time, markets are still bigger than central banks. That's what we saw Friday. That's what we saw Monday. Today, we're seeing a rescue effort. I can't wait to see how it turns out. Um, and uh, if they don't contain this, I think it could be a really dangerous unpleasant reversion to the mean, which is a fancy way of saying a 50% haircut. Yeah, because if you just look at historical valuations on uh, the major equity markets now, they need to fall by half just to get back to normal levels of, of valuation. And yeah. frequent, frequently you see things, uh, you know, they go a lot further than just mean reversion and then come back. So, you know, the 60% or 70% from these levels doesn't seem outrageous. No, it doesn't. And, you know, of course, they, again, with the quotes around it, are not really interested in seeing that happen for a whole variety of reasons, Um, not the least of which is, you know, what did we see the last time that we had too much credit and we had a lot of malinvestment, which we called the subprime housing crisis, but this time we might use words like student debt or subprime auto or, you know, lending a lot of money to Kazakhstan, whatever the... The, the story is this time there's been the, the same amount of malinvestment. It's spread all over the place. And what they fear is that if these contagious events begin to really catch on and they go down, you get that deflationary bust that ruins institutions. It takes out sovereign nations potentially. It certainly nibbles at all the edges of all the weaker companies that are out there. But, I mean, let's, let's, let's recount two places central banks might be desperately afraid here. One, if you're the European Central Bank and you are the proud owner of or creator of a junk debt universe in Europe that's trading with a 2% handle, that's something to fear because the losses that are potentially going to arise there are just magnificent. Or two, you might be the U.S. Central Bank, the Federal Reserve, and you're afraid of the fact that because you've created these Franken markets, I I was shocked when I saw this statistic, you're probably familiar with it, that the typical pension fund is now 60-40, stocks to bonds, not bonds to stocks. They've completely inverted that. So if, if uh, you are responsible for trillions of dollars in, in pension assets, those are now entirely exposed to stocks. Let me just put this on the table. A 50% or more overshoot uh, situation, the price of stocks going down will absolutely destroy one or more trillion dollars of pensions at this point, irrecoverably. So we would see Chicago go bankrupt in that kind of a scenario, right? Yeah, I mean they're insolvent, you know, already because the the fund, the assets, and the liabilities are in a mismatch. Bankruptcy is the legal term for when you have to go to court to figure out what to do about that. And it's interesting you mentioned that because I think it was just yesterday in Rhode Island, uh, a bunch of state workers, municipal workers whose pensions were being attacked by the state, went to court, made all the way to the state supreme court. And their argument was, the workers' argument was, hey, these are contracts, they need to be enforced like contracts, and the the Supreme Court, surprise, surprise, sided with the government of Rhode Island and said, nah, the state can do whatever it wants, and they just unilaterally um, invalidated those contracts. So, yes, rules get changed, but when the states face bankruptcy like that, I think what happens is, it's just the pensioners who end up getting a a one-way haircut with, with not a lot of recourse. Yeah. So, so a lot of people who think they, they exist at a certain level of wealth because they have a nice, for instance, public sector pension, uh, will find out that they're, they're not nearly as well off as they thought they were. And that, that's got to have a, a huge psychological impact on the country when it happens. Exactly. And I, I'm glad you're you know, talking about the psychology of this because, 
you know, again, if if the markets lose the perception that the central banks have this all under control, we get that mean reverting event. Or once the country loses the perception that their pensions and other savings are are sacrosanct or in some way going to be meaningful, it's the perceptions everything in a game like this. Because of course we have a a Ponzi like. Um, fiat money system where the money itself is corrupt at its core and allows all sorts of crazy things to happen like this. So uh, I think it's just a feature of our money system that you have periods of time where you delude yourself by printing a lot of money and pretending it's real wealth and prosperity. And then reality comes along and you're like, whoops, that was a dumb idea. And wash, rinse, repeat, right? We've been down this cycle so many times. The only surprising feature of it is that people still fall for it and we have to learn the lessons all over again. Okay. Now, one of the really interesting um, aspects of the work that you do is that you go beyond finance. You know, you, you explain how um, to invest for crazy times, but you also talk about the other things people should be doing with their lives in order to, um, you know, survive and thrive when, when things get as crazy as they probably will. Um, so could we talk about a few things in that category? In other words, what are the two or three things you would recommend that um, I and, and the other listeners out there uh, should start doing with their lives in order to be ready for what's coming? Yeah, I'd love to. Uh, because, you know, I do talk about markets and finance a lot because um, everybody cares about it. And I think that's where we'll get some early signals. But I'm not in this to help, you know, get people um just financially secure. That's part of it. But really, you know, what's the purpose of life? We're here to have happy, fulfilled, meaningful, purposeful lives. And, and a lot of us are, a lot of people, including myself as of a few years ago, are exposed to this idea that if I lose my job, um, I'm really ruined, or if my, if my financial situation really goes away, I'm ruined. It, all sorts of things could, could come and disrupt our lives. And when I look at the world around us, I see a lot of chance for those disruptions. So Adam Taggart and myself, we've been at this for 10 years, and we asked ourselves some questions, which were, what are some things we could do that would be really additive to our lives today, but also would make us more prepared, more resilient for whatever future arrives? And we've come up with a list of those. Financial capital, hey, build it up. It's fantastic. You know, make sure it's safe. You know, be smart. Understand the big picture, where we're going. But none are so poor as those who only have money. So what else can we do with our lives to add that richness? There are seven other forms of capital that we like to talk about um, that's written up in the book Prosper. We spend weekend seminars digging deeper. And some examples are social capital, right? So if you have a rich social network, not just how many people you know, but how well you know them and how much you can trust the people in your network, this is shown to be a, a great additive to your current life as well as in the future. We know from watching what's happening in Venezuela now or what just happened in, in Zimbabwe or what happens when countries get into financial crises that who you know and how well you know them are real determinants of whether you're simply surviving or you're thriving in those environments. So social capital, lots of ways to get out there and build it. And, uh, you know, it involves, in many cases, being bold, dropping your masks, um, bringing out your vulnerable self and really connecting with people. We talk about lots of ways to do that. And uh, another example would be living capital, which includes the health and state of your own body, as well as uh, the, the ecology around you, whether you have the opportunity to put in a garden or, you know, plant different plantings that can really help um, bring uh, more food to the local birds, bees, and everything else. The, this living capital is really important. Adam and I are both in much better shape than we were 10 years ago, and that adds so much to our daily lives today. And in future scenarios, being healthy is, of course, going to be very important. So, those are just you know three of the eight forms of capital. I don't know if you want me to step through all of them, but um, uh, we find that if people become resilient in each one of these eight forms, even just a little bit, they do so much better than if they just build one of them up. Fascinating. Get, Chris, give us a couple more if you've uh, got them at oh. your fingertips. Well, sure. I mean, everybody's familiar with, uh, you know, often when people hear about possible disruptions in the future, you know, whether they live on the Juan de Fuca plate fault line out there in the Northwest or, you know, uh, hurricanes just come through or they're worried a financial crisis is going to come, they, they usually go right to material preparations, right? So you see a lot of prepper websites carry a lot of that, which is fine. I'm a big, big believer in being prepared. 
So material capital, though, um, could be having a deep pantry. It could be, in my case, I put on solar hot water and solar photovoltaics on my house because I believe in hot water and electricity big time. Um, But these are ways that I can put my money, my financial capital, slide it out of that bucket and slide it into making my house more well insulated so I use less energy going forward and making energy investments that have a positive return that's better than anything Wall Street can promise me. And I'm using that word carefully. You have a promised return from some of these investments. And, um, And so material capital is really great to build up. But again, prepping is about so much more than just having a deep pantry and, and maybe some food in the basement. Uh, another one that's, that's exceedingly important, perhaps the most important one, is emotional capital. And this sort of touches in maybe on spiritual as well. And this is, listen, let's say you're fantastically wealthy in all other seven forms of capital, but in emotional capital, you're kind of thin. Crisis comes along and you just crumble. You can't manage. You can't deal with the whole thing. Uh, you might as well not have any of the other forms of capital, which is why I'm saying this one's really important. And so here it's, it's a little bit less prescriptive because each person's different. But to really be able to build up your emotional resilience so that you can um, separate reacting from responding so that when the times really become turbulent, if or when that happens, you have a clear head you have a plan, you can stick to it, you know what you're going to do, you've already thought through or, or experienced some of the harder edges of the decisions that are going to have to be made. Because let's be clear, when or if we do have that 50% reversion, you and I and everybody listening, we're going to know people, maybe it's us, who have lost their jobs, who have come into hard times, and it's going to be up to us, people who've been emotionally prepared, ready for this, we saw it coming, we know how we're going to help people and where our limits are and what we can do. And, uh, and so you really want to um, build up that emotional resilience before a crisis starts. And guess what? If you start doing that, your relationships will begin to change and shift. And this emotional capital is something that adds a lot of richness to your lives and, and to your ability to connect deeply. And so this is just something that, again, whether or not, however the future turns out, nobody can predict that. But I can guarantee you that if you are building up these forms of capital I've talked about, you will be happier, healthier, richer, and, and uh, more um, engaged and present with life today. So for Adam and I, this is kind of a, a win-win. We don't, we don't see, you know, we, you know we, we don't live in fear, John, that someday we're going to wake up and somebody's going to knock on our door and say, you bastards, you know, eight years ago, you told me to get in shape and have better relationships and, and be careful with my money and... And, um, and, and I regret all of that. Um, <laughs> I, we just don't think that's going to happen. Okay, excellent. Now, you mentioned energy briefly a few minutes ago. And energy actually plays a big part in your macro worldview, too. Could you expand a little bit on um, you know, the, the whole um, exponential growth, limits to growth kinds of thesis that, that um, you espouse? Well, sure. I mean, your listeners should know that my background, I'm a scientist by training. And so I love data, but I was a biological scientist. So I understand really very uh, professionally as well as possibly intuitively at this point that energy is everything. Organisms either have access to energy or they don't. Um, If there's a lot of rabbits around next year, you're going to have a lot of foxes, right? So watching that happen, once you understand the role that fossil fuels have played in bringing us all the abundance we live with today, and by the way, we live in one of the most abundant eras ever for humans. But we're also eating those fossil fuels. Ten calories of every, um, uh, in every calorie you eat, there's ten calories of fossil fuels embedded in there. So, hey, maybe we should go study this stuff called fossil fuels, which is coal, natural gas, but mostly oil is the big one. And there, as soon as you dig into this story of, of oil, you discover that, yes, we're finding more, but it's deeper, it's harder to get to, it involves fracking, 10,000-foot wells that, that deplete in three years, that we're really scraping the bottom of the barrel, and most people don't know this. So once you study that, you know the importance of energy to our entire system of money, to our entire way we organize ourselves economically, to our hopes, our dreams, to the fact that we eat as well as we do. All of these things depend on energy, and when you get in there, like I do, and really dig around, you say, oh my gosh, in our lifetimes, this entire story changes. 
And some people interpret that as, oh, you're just saying it's going to be a disaster. Hey, we're humans. We're clever. We'll figure stuff out. But the reorganization is going to be dramatic. Some crisis in that, some opportunity in that. Uh, crisis is for anybody expecting, requiring, needing the future to be just like today, but just larger, that ain't going to happen. Sooner or later, it, it, we have to figure out how to reshape that. So, you know, losers in that story are going to be exurbs that are 90 miles away from where the jobs are, uh, the really distant strip malls at the edges of things. Uh, the future that I see coming is we're going to have to be a lot more careful with our energy use. We're going to have to reshape where we live, eat, work, play. Um, there's opportunity in that, of course. But it's not just a simple continuation of here to there. Things change enormously. And once you understand where China is on this macro stage, they are already the world's largest importer of oil. That's set to double their number of imports in the next 12 years. We don't know where all that oil is going to come from. China's already on it. They're reshaping Middle East politics. They're ma magic checkbooking their way through every oil deposit you can find. And the United States is still pretending as if, mm, you know, we don't have to, nothing here to think about. Um, so really big changes coming for people who can see that. I think there's extraordinary investment opportunities as well as losses in some of these cases. Okay, Chris, we've got exactly one minute left. Um, could you talk a little bit about what the energy thesis means for agriculture? Yeah, so agriculture is heavily dependent on fossil fuel inputs. Um, all the nitrogen comes from natural gas through the Haber-Bosch process, uh, you know, the plowing, the this, the that. So, um, and moving water is really energy expensive. It's heavy. It doesn't like to move. So uh, through all of this, uh, we find that energy and food prices are intimately linked. As oil prices go up in the next three to five years, food prices are going to go up because that's how that works. So I'm looking for um, commodities, in particular uh, grains, to be at really at the bottom of their investment cycle. They're going to all be going up in price as we go forward. And uh, there will be um, lots of uh, skirmishes, might be the right word, but those could be um, market skirmishes. Uh, four grains as we go forward. Really tight situation as we look forward 10, 20 years for food coming in. Okay, perfect. Thanks, Chris. Uh, great talking to you and, and, you know, talk to you soon, hopefully. All right. Thank you, John. Okay, that's all the time we have for this segment, but please don't go away because right after the break, you'll hear a pre-recorded interview that Jay Taylor did with Jean Martineau, the CEO of Dynacor Gold Mines, one of Jay's favorite junior miners. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Noble Resources Corp. trades on the OTCQX under the symbol NSRPF and on the TSX Venture Exchange under NVO. Its flagship assets are located in the Karatha region of Western Australia, where they are currently drilling and trenching their Purdy's reward project. In addition, Nobo has partnered with Sumitomo Mining Corporation to advance its Beaton's Creek Gold project toward production. With over $70 million in cash and strong shareholder support from the likes of Kirkland Lake Gold, Nobo is well on its way to establishing itself as one of the top junior explorers and developers in Australia. Bonterra Resources, a Canadian exploration company, is aggressively expanding its high-grade Gladiator Gold deposit in Quebec, Canada. In 2017, Bonterra raised $40 million and attracted strategic investors Eric Sprott, Kinross, Kirkland Lake Gold, and New York-based Vanek Gold Fund. Bonterra is focused on updating its 43-101 resource model in 2018 and will incorporate up to an additional 100,000-plus meters of drilling where the dimensions of the Gladiator Gold Deposit has been expanded to date nearly 500%. Bonterra trades in Canada under the symbol BTR and in the U.S. under BONXF. The business community's first choice in Internet talk radio. Voice America Business Network. You're 
listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times and Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really pleased to have with me once again, Jean Martineau. He's the president and CEO of Dynacore Gold Mines. Dynacore Gold Mines is currently a sponsor of this show, and it has been a recommendation in my newsletter dating back to August 2010. Dynacore uh, has been a company that has consistently made money during that time, uh, and it's been growing its profits and doing so organically, which is also pleasing to me. I like to see companies that don't have to go out and issue new shares all the time to stay alive. No, Dynacore. Dynacore has been generating profits and cash flow from its operations. Trades uh, in Toronto under the symbol DNG. You can buy it in the U.S. as I have under the symbol DNGDF. Recently trading it at about $1.57 in U.S. money. Uh, 39 million shares outstanding, giving it a market cap of around $60, $62 million, somewhere in that range. Gene, thanks for joining me again today. Good morning, Jay. It's a pleasure to be back on your show. Oh, it's really good to have you. I like to have people who are successful, and you certainly have been for many years in Peru. You've uh, treated the people very well and that always works well to treat people when you're playing in their backyard to treat them well and with respect and you've been very successful with your ore purchasing model. You buy the uh, the gold ore from uh, from small mom and pop operators in Peru. There's many, many of them. There are a lot of other companies that have tried to replicate your success. You're the only company that I know of, the only public company anyway that I know of in Peru that has been able to be successful year after year. What is your secret? Well, you know, it looks like uh, easy because we have a mill and we uh, or is getting in and we operate a mill. Operating a mill is is very simple. It's very uh, it's very uh, easy. Usually, you have your ore from your mine. You process that. You adjust your uh, your uh, your operation uh, set point for that, and uh, you you process it. But in our case, we buy ore from more than four hundred different uh, mines, and so we have to select what kind of ore we we can process. And uh, what, uh, what, uh, how to do this blending? How to pay that? Analyze that very, very well. It's not, it's not easy at all. You have to build to a, a complete network of providers, and if you want to keep them, as you said in the introduction, uh, we have to treat them very well. So it's it's all uh, it's all that together, you know. Uh, but uh, as I, uh, again, it looks easy, but it's 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 pretty it's pretty difficult. But uh, mostly is to blend all these uh, these ores together and, and to know what you can buy and process and what you cannot buy with your with your equipment. So it, it's a long it's a long uh, learning curve, and we took almost ten years to do that. So now we've been in this business for more than ten years, and it's going very well. You uh, open up a new three. 300- 100 ton per day mill at Chala, Peru, to process the ore that you purchased from these miners. And you, you had a couple of ma- natural disasters last year that I think set you back. But but how are things going right now as we uh, get into 2018? Is, is the mill operating well? Can you give us some guidance or some idea about how you expect to perform in 2018? Yeah, sure. Uh, we uh, Last year, we uh, we planned it to be at 300 ton per day by mid-2017. Because of these two uh, natural disasters, as you said, uh, it has been delayed almost by six months. So uh, we revised in August our uh, target for the 2017, and we've got there. It was between 78 and 80 uh, thousand ounces of gold, and we have processed almost uh, 80, 79.8, something like this. So things uh, finally have been delayed by six months, but we've got uh, to the point where we want it to be uh, at 300 ton per day. Uh, we've uh, we reached this point uh, at the end of November 2017. So uh, uh, the first quarter. Uh, this year is uh, will be as uh, any first quarter of any years a little bit lower because of the rainy season. It has been there for it since we, we began to work uh, 20 years ago, and uh, actually we are uh, beginning February. It's it's exactly the same thing as anticipated, and we expect to be back at 300 ton per day uh, rapidly after this uh, raining season. And we still plan to increase the milling capacity to 360 ton per day before the end of 2018. 360, uh, okay. 360, yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, so it means another 20% over what we have now. Uh, are we going to be 
running at 360 ton per day? Uh, I don't know, but we should be between 3 and 360 before the end of this year. Uh, and uh, when 2019, well, we'll uh, we want to continue to expand that, as you uh, probably know. We've been expanding our mill uh, almost every year, but now we know that we can run at 300 tons per day uh, uh, on a very good, uh, uh, stable way. So we'll continue this, and uh, we have already the permit to go to 360 tons per day. So as soon as uh, we'll see that we can buy uh, more than 300 tons per day, we're going to start that, and in less than three months, we're going to have a capacity install of 360 tons per day. So 2018 should be our best year ever uh, on the product. Side. Do you have, uh, I think it's you're somewhat sensitive to the ore grades that you get, and you've been able to attract and pick and choose, as you sort of alluded to a minute ago, the kinds of ores that work best and the grades, and you've been able to attract high grades. Can you give our listeners some sense of the average millhead grade that goes through your mills? Well, uh, we have been, uh, yes, on a very high grade. Uh, when we began this, uh, we, we did the same thing, uh, all the others, but uh, we have a very efficient mill, and I think we can say that we have probably the most efficient mill this kind in Peru. So we've been able to attract the high-grade producers because uh, because of the higher recovery rate. And uh, we have been, uh, up to last year, uh, much over our target. We target uh, between 0.9 and uh, 0.95 ounce per ton, and last year we have been over uh, 1 to 1.1 ounce per ton, uh, even sometimes over that. So we still uh, have a very, very uh, high grade, uh, head grade, uh, which is a very high grade there, uh, and continues to be the same. We're surprising. We're surprised to see how high it's, uh, it's still. And we expect that 300 ton per day and even at 360, this head grade should come down a little bit. But we continue to attract the, the highest grade uh, producer, in Peru, which is a very good, uh, uh, very good, uh, it's, it's, very good thing. Yeah, obviously, and uh, you you do have some competition down there, and you've been able to keep those grades up, even though new entries into the business. Uh, can, your Chala project uh, was supposed to bring with it some considerable cost savings. I think your energy factors, there's some other factors. Could you comment on Chala? And you've run it now for a little while. Do you see those cost savings? Those cost factors? to your benefit there at Chala over the previous mill? Yeah, we see some. Mainly the cost, uh, uh, the cost saving comes from uh, a bigger mill. So at full capacity, uh, it, uh, it reduced the fixed cost per ton which we haven't really seen because we've got to the maximum capacity just at the end of the year, but it's going to be all there for all this year. Uh, we're going to have another one with uh, ones connected to the, well, we are connected to the national grid, but we are low up to now to uh, get uh, no more than 150 kilowatt per hour, and we need uh, 8 to 900 kilowatts per hour, almost 1 meg, uh, 1,000 uh, uh, 1, uh, kilo. Uh, yeah, kilowatt per hour. And uh, uh, the company, the national company, has been delayed uh, over a year and a half to build the new, all the new system with the new electric uh, substation. And we know that actually they're testing the new substation in the line. So we expect to have that in the coming weeks. Uh, they, we were told uh, every month, ah, it's going to be next month, it's going to be next month, it's going to be next month. Now what we know, they, they're testing the equipment, so they are in the final, uh, final days or final weeks. So this should allow us to, uh, once connected to the national grid, to save uh, probably more than half a million dollars per year in electric cost. Another uh, good part is the tailing cost. The last tailing uh, at Wonka, the old mill, was almost uh, the last. The, the cost was almost uh, fifteen dollars per ton. And where we are now, we are under two dollars. We are somewhere between one dollar fifty, one dollar eighty dollars per per ton, which is much lower. Uh, better general operation, not just because the mill is bigger, but it has been designed for this uh, this level of operation, so it's going better. We're gonna have. Uh, savings there too and all these savings will be in fact reflected in 2018 operation because this year we're going to be operating uh, for a large part of the year at, the, at full capacity so there we're going to see these uh, but we already know uh, tailing cost 
it's, it's a saving of uh, 12 to 13 dollars per ton. Uh, National Grid will uh, give us an order. Uh, uh, we don't have the final uh, uh, numbers here, but it's going to be probably uh, I don't know somewhere between five and seven dollars per ton. Uh, better general operation, uh, bigger operation. So we really see these results. These uh, reflected in the 2018 results, but it's going to be uh, it's going to be uh, a, go- a good part. Sure. Okay. You. Uh, how many ounces did you produce last year? Seventy-eight thousand. Was it seventy-nine thousand? Uh, our target was uh, between seventy-eight and eighty thousand, and we pros- we produce uh, seventy-nine thousand uh, eight hundred something ounces. So mm-hmm. Very very close to eighty thousand ounces of gold. Okay, and your uh, guidance for this year, what do you expect you can do? I, I know within a range because you don't know exactly what your grades are going to be and so forth, but do you have a target for ounces produced or just tons produced? Uh, we, uh, the tons produced should be uh, probably around uh, 100,000. Uh, somewhere there, but uh, the answers uh, we're gonna see. Uh, we ex- uh, expect to publish these numbers uh, beginning of March. Okay, we'll see how the the year begins with the, this rainy season. Uh, but uh, we have uh, already a pretty good idea. But it's gonna be published at the beginning of March. Our uh, target for this year, 2018. All right. With respect to Chala, you have growth prospects beyond the 360 ton per day, um, or is that pretty much what you see at this? time well uh, no no we we build this mill at 300 ton per day and it has been designed to be upgraded in different steps uh, 360 that's after that 450 and up to 600 ton per day if there is a market for that uh, actually uh, we know that uh, we are we processing at 300 ton per day uh, we have been processing in uh, November December uh, we uh, we will uh, reach again that point probably just after the raining season and we expect to be at 360 by the end of this year. At 360, there we're going to be able to evaluate when we can be, we can expect to be at 450. But actually, we'd say that uh, we're preparing to uh, be able to uh, expand the milling capacity at 450 around that somewhere in 2019. We're going to see, we're going to see how it's going this year. But uh, so it could be uh, by uh, we could be there by the end of uh, sorry by the end of next year or beginning of the following year. But it's still there. We know that uh, we'll be able to go to 450. Over that, well, we'll see uh, when we're going to be there. Uh, how up to what we can uh, continue to go. But uh, for the moment, we have these two steps in uh, in line: 360 and going later on to 450 ton per day. Right, and doing it, of course, financing all that organically is what you always do. Well, I have to ask you about Tumi Pampa, because one of the things that always attracted me to your story was you're able to generate cash flow to grow organically, and you had this very exciting target at Tumi Pampa in Peru, uh, and and that had a high-grade underground vein system in it that I think you were talking about possibly producing from sometime, but it also had a large-scale pore-free SCARN target, that, and this is a project that is in the middle of some gigantic, large-scale, you know, huge mining company operations. Talk to us a little bit with just a couple of minutes left about Tumi Pampa and what your plans are there. Well, we uh, actually are preparing, uh, uh, evaluating everything. Uh, we, uh, as you know, we uh, we have developed uh, and uh, explored uh, substantially the veins uh, in the past. Uh, we had the scarn in the porphyry where we did some uh, surface exploration, some drilling, and we discovered uh, just before we had to stop drilling uh, almost two years ago in Tumipampa uh, because of uh, we were in negotiation with the local communities. Uh, we discovered a new disseminated zone and uh, since then we have done a lot of surface uh, sampling, uh, geophysical and uh, surface sampling on this disseminated and we have identified uh, this zone very uh, uh, precisely which is about uh, 350 by 600 meters and uh, it looks like it's uh, disseminated on the surface and it's just in the direction of where uh, uh, are going the, uh, the veins. 
so we did uh, much work on the veins themselves, but now it looks like the source of these veins can just underground this, uh, this disseminated. So we're very excited about that, and we're preparing a new drilling campaign which should begin uh, just after the raining season. We just published that we've got uh, this new deal with the local community. Now we're applying for uh, the new uh, extended exploration permit for the property with this uh, deal with the local community. And uh, this permit is not very long. Usually it's about a couple months to get it once you get your uh, your deal with the local community. So uh, we expect to be ready to start our drilling uh, by the beginning of May of this year. So our main target there will be uh, the disseminated. Uh, why? Because, uh, well, we know that uh, what we have uh, uh, around the veins, uh, but uh, if the source is just there under this disseminated, this, this disseminated could, could be a huge gold deposit. The scarn is more, uh, it's copper gold, but it's more copper, which is not exactly our, uh, our, uh, our target. Uh, it's still there, but, uh, for this year and, uh, next year, we'll concentrate on this disseminated, and we already, uh, pre- we have already prepared a budget for that. We should spend this year at least, uh, 1.2 million dollars just on drilling on the property, and the same thing for next year, something that we could accelerate if the results are good. So, we'll, uh, come up in the coming, uh, Two months before the at the end of the raining season, with uh, a more detailed uh, exploration campaign on that. But uh, we're very, uh, how you say that, very eager to start again this uh, this exploration there. Yeah, rightfully so. I think it's a very exciting story, and uh, I'll certainly be looking forward to to your press releases regarding your drill program there uh, at the at Tumi Pampa uh, and keeping up with all you're doing. I mean, you've just done a m- remarkable job there with this company over the years, Jean. And I want to thank you so much for all the good work you're doing for your shareholders of which I am one. And uh, anything else you'd like to leave with our listeners before we conclude our discussion today? Yeah, well, there may be a couple of points here. You know that we had a debt of $7 million. Uh, we did that to uh, to have enough uh, cash flow to run the mill, the new mill. And uh, we just, uh, we had to pay this debt uh, before Ju- uh, before January 2019. We've been able to reimburse the complete debt in December of uh, 2017. Great, wonderful, with yeah. Much, with much, uh, much more uh, faster than uh, than uh, planned before, so it means that uh, on the cash flow uh, side, the business has been very very good last year. We've been able to do that. So today we don't have any debt; we're debt free. Uh, and uh, something to check this year is going to be the cash flow generated uh, with this mill. Because last year we've been uh, in uh, in a process of increasing production through the year. We've got these two natural uh, large problem which delayed our uh, our uh, planned work by six months. But this year uh, we should be running at almost uh, full capacity. So we're gonna generate a very good cash flow this year. And uh, the other point will be uh, this uh, next drilling campaign on Tumipampa uh, going uh, for the almost the first time. We've got just some drill. Uh, done close to the disseminated zone, but we haven't done much there. But we've got uh, very good surface results uh, on this part, and we are very, very uh, eager to see what's going to be the result there. So this is the, the, maybe the main point uh, to take in account right now. You know, debt-free, we're now generating a lot of cash flow and uh, the new uh, drilling campaign there. So. Yeah, to me, Pompa, indeed. And the fact that you only have 39 million shares outstanding means that if you come across something that's really significant, these shares could really fly. In addition, you're also building your, your bread and butter, your core business, doing very well as well. Gene, I want to thank you very much for being with us. We are out of time. It's a great story, and I hope you'll come back and tell us more, uh, update us sometime in the future. Thank you so much for being with us. That's all the time we have for this week. Next week, I will be speaking with F. William Engdahl about China and the demise of the petrodollar, and Michael Allen of Northern Empire, a company with a very attractive gold deposit, uh, Carlin-style gold deposit in Nevada. Until then, goodbye and God's blessings to you. Thank you again for listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor. Please join us again next Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel.
Uranium Energy Corps. NYSE Market, UEC. He's a leader in the coming bull market in uranium. With spot uranium up more than 40% in two months, the new bull market is just starting. UEC has the cash, the licensed resources, the permitted processing center, the advanced technology, and the experienced team to lead this market. Get to know this exciting company now by visiting UraniumEnergy.com. NYSE Market, UEC. 